0: Hello, and welcome to the GD Financial Markets podcast. I'm John Sahofner, one of the founding partners of GDFM, a consultancy business focused on delivering risk advisory solutions for a wide range of firms, both within and outside of financial services. We have launched this podcast with Four Park Group UK to give listeners insights into some of the challenges and opportunities we see on a daily basis. In today's episode, Sarah Peeston of GDFM is in conversation with Damon Baker, for Park. They'll be discussing how well thought out and planned regulatory change programs can not only help firms save time and money, but also reduce rework and regulatory scrutiny. Recently, there have been huge fines in the transaction reporting and client asset spaces. Regarding the last two fines in the TR space, the FCA mentioned change management some 36 times in their final notice. This is a compelling reason for firms to focus on end-to-end change management, to focus on how reg change has the ability if managed carefully, to enhance their regulatory conformance, bottom line, and reputation. Damon and Sarah, over to you.
1: Thanks very much, John. In this episode, Sarah Peaston and I will discuss how reg change, governance, and control fit within and give insights into the bigger picture of how a firm operates. Sarah is associate partner and head of regulatory compliance practice at GD Financial Markets. Reg Change governance and control can lead not only to less regulatory risk, but also to operational efficiencies and cost savings because you have your compliance department more deeply integrated into your business. They have a seat at the table, and that leads to more proactive and efficient support. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah.
2: Hi.
1: Did I get your title right?
2: You did indeed.
1: Excellent. Fantastic. So I'd like to start the sessions off with a high level question, which is given your background, given what you do and all of your experience, why do we want to have regulatory compliance, having a seat at the table?
2: I think what I've seen over my career to date, so some like, 23 years or so, is that separating out reg from the business is not always sensible in terms of considering them as two completely separate topics. So, of course, different individuals will hold different roles, and that's completely appropriate but as you said earlier having compliance or the the reg related individuals as part of the evolution when considering how your business operates what regulatory considerations you need to make or if indeed you're looking at it through the lens of regs, so there's a new regulation, how does this impact our business? What changes do we need to make? It's um, always going to be easier and also often more efficient to have the compliance individuals and the reg individuals partner with the business and other support areas. And that can lead, in my experience, to uh, a discovery for, for everybody. So, you know, efficiencies from a business perspective, it's always a very, very good opportunity for organisations to reassess what type of business they do are they doing it as well as they can do in terms of front to back flow you often get some very basic um, assumptions challenged and actually you find out that what you thought was an apple is actually an orange so there's lots of interesting byproducts which can only make your organization stronger and that is often driven by reg and i think Having the culture of REG embedded into an organization as a whole also makes the organization stronger and it makes them much more lock in step in terms of what they're trying to achieve.
1: It sounds like you've seen that kind of integration evolve in various ways across various firms, even across jurisdictions. So I think this is a good segue into your background. Can you give us, you know, just the brief potted history of how you got here?
2: Sure. So I've been in the industry for around 23 years. I've literally done the front to back. I started in emerging markets, which was super interesting because I really learned the basics from front to back. I sat on the trading floor with the guys so I really saw what happened right from inception all the way down to kind of custody and that really put me in good stead so I started off in a European firm SocGen and then I went on to join Goldman Sachs and there I concentrated um, in the latter part of my time with Goldman on the network side so again I got to see the full cycle so depositories some of the evolution that we saw in the custodial space and then I moved more firmly into REG as I moved on to into Barclays so REG has always been a factor of of the roles that I have done and it felt like a really good time to concentrate on REG Uh, and I started looking um, at transaction reporting which was under MIFID at the time, and that expanded as I joined City to look at multiple regulatory reporting uh, obligations as, as well as client money and client assets and, and broader customer protection. And what I found is my business grounding for the first half of my career made me a really good fit for reg. I understood the business. I understood the drivers of the business. I sat in the seat of a lot of the individuals so I could easily liaise and decode the reg into business terms for them, which made us a great partnership.
1: So, it sounds like you started your career on like the pure kind of reg side, but then did things shift into reg change?
2: I started probably more in a kind of project type role so change was was there and I think I cultivated certainly in some of my roles the notion that projects and change aren't the same thing and particularly when it comes to reg so my experience is it's not the big massive projects be them reg based or strategic based for the organisation that can have um, some kind of impact that could be negative in terms of your regulatory conformance, it's normally the very small thing. So that's where change management comes in.
1: Okay. And that makes sense. Given that you've seen so many different, almost little fiefdoms within a bank, yes, you, I think, understand how change in one area affects another business unit.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it's often the small types of changes that can trip organisations up. So a really great example is just pure technology change. It's kind of assumed that no one else needs to know about it. It's just technology change. It's a patch update or we're just changing a server. And possibly people haven't considered all of the dependencies and reliances related to that and the intricacies of a lot of regulatory reporting obligations mean that data is collected from all over the firm, indeed external to the firm, validated, goes through several cycles of enrichment and filtering and actually often it goes to the four corners of the firm as well and that's not necessarily well understood so reg change is all about making sure the right people with the right level of knowledge and the right breadth of knowledge are making the right decisions around what things may get modified in the firm and of course business changes all of the time it evolves all of the times it's absolutely natural that that needs to happen but pairing that with regulatory change is really important so understanding how something seemingly completely distinct from REG can actually impact REG in in possibly quite a dramatic way, i.e. introduce risk for the firm because it impairs the firm's ability to meet the regulatory obligation that they have.
1: So can you, can you give me a quick example of how, you know, maybe a technology change where people thought, Oh, it's innocuous. It's like you said, just a patch, but it's gone on to cause a little bit of internal confusion or strife in an organization.
2: So I've seen something really basic, I think I mentioned, like a a server upgrade, and really basic behind the scenes, no users really need to know, we're taking down one server and replacing it with another server. However, regulatory reporting processes deep in the code all pointed towards a certain server. And once that server didn't exist anymore, it made the whole process fall over and actually that is frankly the beginning because nobody knows why it's fallen over and the immediate assumption is it's something much larger and of course not having the right change governance whereby you don't necessarily have the understanding of the as-is process it makes the investigation much harder because everybody's focusing on oh this massive thing must have happened in order for this entire flow to be taken down individuals naturally overlook the more obvious answers and, and because Again, code versions are not stored necessarily. You don't have that governance there from a from a change perspective. It can take a lot longer to find what is, frankly, a very simple cause. Mm-hmm. And I've seen those sorts of things time and time again.
1: Now, can you give me an example of where your reg change hat, while wearing your reg change hat, there was a preemptive intervention that actually led to more efficiency as opposed to, you know, like the, the kind of postmortem thing?
2: Yeah, no, happy to. I think, you know, a a lot of what change governance is, be it in the reg space or otherwise, is that preemptive approach, is that broader thinking, which is why having excellent business knowledge it always puts you in a, a really great position as a change manager and, in, and a regulatory change manager because you can, can really consider the, the whole picture so I think some of the kind of great results I've had in the reg space whereby there's been broader benefit has been because I've looked at a reg process and kind of looked at the organic growth uh, that's occurred over a course of years and seeing how um, a reg process can be quite inefficient because it's been tacked on to say a settlement system or it's uh, been in rich through going to a commission-based system or something along those lines and over the years I have um, be able, been able to create efficiency savings so Rick is not necessarily going to make money as, a, as an initiative for a firm but it can certainly save money from an yeah. efficiency perspective and absolutely I've had some uh, great wins in that regard where we've been able to reinvest money saved or just create a saving for the organization and you know those can run into the millions of dollars
1: right and that's all part of the bonus pool right
2: <laughs> you would hope <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's true you do <laughs> someone out there is thanking you <laughs> yeah,
2: please do i expect the christmas card
1: <laughs> fantastic i like that so yeah i mean i i definitely i mean i've been personally involved with red change projects as well and that change management piece while it kind of sits on top of rate change is so important because all these dependencies are are often unseen by the people who were doing the nuts and bolts change on say one particular piece of rag.
2: Absolutely. And it's
1: r- really a shame that, and, and I, I get how that happens, but it is a shame that there's not a little bit more of an integrated and holistic approach to reg chain.
2: Yeah, and I think I think the one thing that I would always highlight to anyone who's kind of sitting outside of reg or sees reg as another obstacle they need to get over if they want to put a new product in or they want to make some business changes or they want to make some technology changes is that reg is one of the few places that exposes a firm from front to back. There's very few things in a, in a kind of, and I'm talking sales side broker dealer that genuinely one team will see from inception all the way to closure and reg does that so actually it draws out the risks that the firm has be that processing risk be that um lack of awareness risk be that cultural risks Um, and very few other processes do that you know there are so many things that shake out of reg that should absolutely disrupt lots of other processes internally but they don't always because the settlement might still occur because you've somehow got the right settlement instructions although you're booking against the wrong counterparty for example or the pnl and the way it gets processed back end there's some updates that happen to kind of correct what should really be right for inception so all these other places where things should kick out so confirmations all of those sorts of things often for whatever reason get fixed along the way or they're not a showstopper but under reg they, those sorts of things become a showstopper. So reg inherently, when managed properly through change and through overall governance control, can really improve your your firm's, like, I would say, overall operating mode.
1: Right, right. I mean, so we, we talked about this briefly before, how reg can act as a bit of a barometer on right. a firm's operations. And so we've talked a little bit about transaction reporting, I get that. Are there any other barometer regs that you've been involved with that give you that front-to-back view of a firm's operating model.
2: Yeah, sure. I think I think client money and client assets, so an FCA regime is absolutely go
1: into that. How is that the case?
2: Um, so as a barometer reg, and what I could, you know barometer reg is kind of a term I like to use, and I think client money, client assets really touches every business type. So transaction reporting, for example, does not. Uh, reside in the um, custodial elements of a firm or or of a flow necessarily but client money client assets looks at broker dealer for example as a business type it looks at private bank as a business type it looks at um, custody as a business type so ultimately customer protection which is absolutely critical for our industry really means that actually there's no stone unturned from a business penetration perspective so client money client assets absolutely i think particularly if you've got complex firms where there's lots of inter usage from one business to another it really does draw out exactly what's happening in a firm and it gives the firm an opportunity to consider whether they would like to change some of their processes modify them you know streamline them i think big firms in particular naturally have a lot of duplication that never come never comes to life it's 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 not visible from one area which can be for very good reasons quite distinct from another area and sometimes size is prohibitive to having centralized teams that look across all different business across um different legal entities as well and regs actually introduces that opportunity for organizations and I think where I've benefited from from that opportunity is certainly in the client money client asset space where I've been able to alongside my teams and and esteemed colleagues look across the firm front to back with a legal entity view on and then switch that and look at it from a business perspective that may indeed go across lots of legal entities always with the reg in mind but stage one is know the business and then understand how that reg applies to that business so client money clients is a great barometer to Reg in that regard
1: what you're seeing there is there's an issue here or there's you know an operating model within this one particular legal entity but that's going to map across potentially multiple other ones and you know how it is with large institutions there's not always organic growth that leads to them you know becoming larger it's acquisition correct right and so you've got processes that are the same within you know eight different legal entities why not go in and map that change across all of them instead of doing it eight different times?
2: Yeah. And I think, I think consistency is a big thing that comes out as well. So you're absolutely right. If you're in a a position where the firm has grown uh, through acquisition you know it can be quite expected and anticipated you may have some degree of duplication that might continue for a defined period before perhaps centralization occurs or you just get natural duplication because as i said earlier one business is using the other so it's not so much duplication it's handling of the same business event but at different stages in different capacities and that's where the real nuggets come out because you've got different roles treating and managing and understanding a business element to be sometimes slightly different things. So that consistency of application, sometimes within a legal entity, quite often across legal entities, is a really interesting space. And sometimes there are inconsistencies. A good change manager makes sure those inconsistencies are rationalized and then documented and revisited on a regular basis. So it's that governance, yeah.
1: They're really focusing on those handoffs.
2: Yeah, and also kind of the really basic question of what is this? What is this business type? Why are we doing what we're doing? And if you think about some of the processing roles, um, and again, what I said earlier about very few teams are fortunate enough to have that centralised view. In small organisations, as well as bigger organisations, REG brings that view, and it can be, I've always found, fascinating.
1: So are there any other barometer regs? SMCR comes to mind? Is that one that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think SMCR is kind of, I like to think of it as a wrapper reg. So it's absolutely critical. And I think it really speaks very strongly to the governance obligations that are expected by the regulators domestically here in the UK. And I think, you know, it, it, it's something that is very clear in terms of what the expectations are around firms in regards to conduct culture training understanding and it also very clearly sets out the expectations upon individuals sitting in influential roles and kind of what their uh, responsibilities are both from a prescribed perspective i.e what the fca and pra set out but also internally how the firm sees their own responsibilities and and who who does what basically and i think On the automated front-to-back flow kind of environment that we all live in, again, small up to huge companies have a lot of automation where people aren't touching the paper. I think SNCR, again, as a a kind of barometer reg has, has made people step back and go, actually, exactly what does this area do? Therefore, what is that senior responsible for? And am I comfortable with how this process is operating? What reasonable steps? could I be uh, expected to take and how will I know that I need to take these reasonable steps? So I think the regulation has done a, an excellent job so far in really giving firms an opportunity to assess exactly how they're structured.
1: Yes. Now, now uh, to me, SMCR, it, it does one thing, which is it shines a light Yes. on responsibilities, right? Why? Because you need to very clearly state what they are and then ensure that there's either no duplication or, or some duplication. But the, the point is, is that there's clarity between roles at the senior level. But then on the other side of it, there's the opportunity for culture change. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that a lot of firms have changed their culture on the back of rate change generally or SMCR specifically. Have you seen some examples where Maybe SMCR specifically has led to tangible culture change within an organization.
2: Um, I think I think SMCR and, and culture and how culture evolves is a really interesting topic. And we've seen, for example, the FCA recently um, has done some great um, articles, etc., on culture. And ultimately, they they've kind of boiled it down to four high level bullet points. Obviously, it's far broader than that, but there are purpose, leadership approach to rewarding and managing people and governance and I think that's super interesting because yes I think purpose as part of culture that comes out through looking at reg and your example is a great one around who's responsible for what under SMCR has really helped firms to consider is it appropriate for this one individual for example to wear multiple hats or that this department has multiple roles do we perhaps have an opportunity to create a separation between control and oversight and the doing and um, so I think a lot of firms through SMCR potentially have looked at their lines of defense for example and I think as well a lot of senior individuals with the responsibility that they probably had pre-SMCR but perhaps has become uh, a bit more sharply and accurately captured have probably considered their own views on oh um, uh, do i really have confidence that everything is as it should be what sort of investigation could i do to give me comfort both now and on an ongoing basis
1: accountability is like a big issue with them i could if I'm a senior manager, <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking, okay, where am I exposed?
2: One of, one of the things I've learned over my many years in this industry, you shake the tree, stuff will fall out. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that's big stuff, but sometimes it's lots of little things that actually give you doubt around governance control in a process. And that's what needs to be addressed. That systemic, I guess, message that all these little things are happening. And on a systemic basis, your governance control is not where it needs to be.
1: You know what, I want to pick up on that. And I want to go back to your analogy of shaking the tree. It depends on who shakes the tree if it's someone internal, if it's a project manager, or if it's a regulator.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, well, yeah. And I think some of the success, success stories I've seen in the past have really been because it's been someone independent shaking the tree. When I say independent, I mean independent to the the let's say a team during a process right. so um, invariably if you've got an external tree shaker should we call them and um, that can be a slightly different scenario but I think if you've got that partnership as I mentioned earlier between the governance control and oversight and particularly in the reg space and, and the individuals um, that are responsible for the day-to-day be it from the business all the way through to the support um, areas you really can come up with some excellent results for the firm and also Ultimately, as you rightly said earlier, if you're a senior manager and you have very, very bespoke responsibilities and excuse me, they're clearly mapped and they're reviewed on a regularised basis. You want to make sure that you've got the right level of comfort. And I think for me, and when I've taken on processes in the past, the immediate thing I've done is kind of make sure there's an assessment and make sure that I'm comfortable um, with the status of a process. And I can honestly say I've never taken on a process and not changed it. And that's because I think, you know, my natural uh, predisposition is towards risk and kind of looking at what's there. But also uh, the roles I've done have enabled me to really have a great understanding of the front to back. So perhaps I'm able to pick up things that perhaps are not always that obvious, to your point earlier, between handoffs of one area to another.
1: I'm going to shift focus a little bit now and talk about advocacy. So, I mean, you've worked at a number of different firms. Have you worked on different continents?
2: I have, yes. So I've I've covered different continents. I've been very involved over the years in, in, in lots of different, I guess, areas across the globe i think some of my roles so you know i I, for example in my network management role i covered a lot of the asian markets i also supported complex trading and structured trading so that took me to kind of various areas i started off in emerging markets so that was absolutely a fantastic grounding so from an advocacy perspective i've most certainly been involved through the trade associations here in the uk on advocating in regards to European and UK legislation and and, and regulatory intentions. But I have also been involved um, in similar processes in in more global markets, so outside of Europe and the UK as well. And I've been very fortunate that I've been able to have insight into the different cultures that regulators indeed themselves operate. And that's often kind of at, if you like, a domestic level. And that's super interesting for me as well.
1: I want to push into that one for a minute. So what I'm what I'm hearing is, is you have been an advocate for industry facing off to a regulator. Is that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: How willing are they to hear the messages from industry or is it just more a tick box? Like, yeah, we heard Sarah's take on this. Fine. Or do they really engage with some of the feedback coming from industry participants?
2: I think if we look at the process that the regulator, you know, when I say the regulator, I mean multiple regulators set out in terms of how they approach new regulation, it's really thoughtful, actually, there's lots of consultation papers or similar, discussion papers or similar. And I think the organisations that uh, are either directly caught or impacted in some way by the regulation's do have an opportunity to feedback their thoughts. I think what becomes very difficult, which is where face-to-face advocacy is really helpful, is if you have very bespoke or what seemed like niche and complex and detailed elements that can't necessarily come through at these broader consultation paper levels and it depends on the subject matter but transaction reporting under mifir for example an excellent example is transaction reporting said that if you don't have a legal entity identifier for your counterparty you can't trade and so that was a very deep in the detail element that came out through the regulatory um, technical standards for transaction reporting but obviously had a massive impact generally on an investment firm so a firm that was caught by the regulations ability to do business so that's the sort of thing that you know won't always be absolutely clear at the stage of discussion paper and consultation paper because it naturally comes out a bit later on as the process evolves. So face-to-face advocacy has been really helpful in my experience. I absolutely think the regulators want to hear the industry's views. There's a lot of expertise in the room both from the regulator regulator's perspective and the industry and I think it often becomes a very useful exchange of of information. Yeah. It doesn't always shake out the way that the industry might like and there are often good reasons for that and sometimes it's because the regulation's been set you know we have to deal with that and I think one thing about the industry is we can partner with the regulators to make sure that everybody gets what they need so the regulators you know MIFIA is a great example from transaction reporting get a lot of transparency and that's understood there are some more difficult elements of that to achieve on a day-to-day basis and that's what the firms have been very invested in working kind of working out with the regulator in partnership.
1: Right, it's actually it's encouraging because sometimes it feels, it can feel <clears throat> a bit draconian, and obviously it depends on which regulators laying down the rules and whatnot. But that uh, that also might highlight just an like an international culture difference when it comes to reg. You know, the U.S. is rules based; over here, it's more principles based. In Asia, I don't know what it's like. Right?
2: Yeah, I, I I think some of it could be cultural, and some of it is just purely the way the process works. So if we do think about regulation that we have here uh, applied here in the uk that is europe-based or european-based basically once the level one so the, the first text is kind of set you can't really deviate from that and that in large part comes through members of european parliament in terms of how 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 it kind of the details in the in the final version if you like so once that's been set it's almost impossible to deviate from that so it becomes a way of managing it so i think the industry is aware um, and cognizant of the parameters that the regulators then have to work within so I think that level of understanding is not often as broad so that the reg individuals or so reg geeks like me know that and I think that makes it makes for an uh, interesting conversation when you are speaking with individuals outside of reg when they say well why is it like this and you know you, you, you can give them a reason it's not necessarily the answer they want i.e it won't change but you can give them the reason and I think that's really important in your subject matter so you can convey it. A large part of regulatory change is conveying and decoding reg to your stakeholders.
1: Big time. And that's one of the things that, I mean, you and I have both seen this with senior senior managers. You know, these are business folks and often, no, sometimes I'll say, sometimes they, they perceive regulatory compliance to be the business prevention unit. But after a conversation, we go, look, this is why it's happening. This is why we need to make these internal changes I have found at least, and maybe you have too, and I'm going to ask you this. Have you found that that leads just to a more kind of mutually respectful communication?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I've been very successful in the past at turning around kind of people's views on what your team does and why you're there in your role. And I think that's in no small part based on the fact that you can talk the business talk so you're kind of not speaking to them in terms of how the regulation calls something, which is quite different. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: You start <laughs> off with, you know, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. And I think a really basic example is I'm going to use my fear transaction reporting again, because most people will be familiar with this in this, in this region, in the UK, we have principal and risk as principal, and that's probably one of the capacities that's the most used or the two capacities that are the most used when you need to, complete the capacity field in the transaction report which is one field of 65 there is nothing that says principal risk's principle it says deal that's that's the closest thing to it so actually working with the business and going right so you've put risk's principle on this What does that mean for us? What is our interpretation legally of that? And actually, do you feel, looking at the description that the Mm. reg gives deal that that is one and the same? So actually, I think that partnership and, again, decoding and then trying to fit the business into the reg as opposed to just saying you've got to do it like this and this is how it goes is really helpful. And, you know, I I have seen, you know, just back to some of the really simple changes, I've seen capacities – Start off as agent, and then suddenly turn into a principal somewhere, and that is a deviation from what the trader thought he was doing. Right, so again, it shakes out what is quite an intricate point for an organisation, but is a is a is a an important point because. Whatever the client and the trader or sales trader think they've done, that does need to be reflected all the way down. For the most part, there can sometimes be a good reason why that changes. But for the most part, you would at least expect awareness that it changes. So I think, again, REG can draw out some of the most extraordinary, extraordinarily basic um, things. But actually, once you start looking, they're not that basic and they, they become really interesting.
1: You know, based on, in fact, based on what you just said, I'm actually going to reverse what I said about how, how reg change may or may not lead to culture change. What, because in my mind, I've always thought of culture change as top down. Yeah. But it's not always the case. Sometimes it literally is bottom up.
2: Yeah. And I think it's really interesting you say that. So a large part of my career and, you know, continues into today is looking at completeness and accuracy in reg reporting, for example. But you can apply that notion to any reg that you look at. Is it complete? Is it accurate? And you absolutely don't just go top down. You go top down and then you go bottom up because yeah. there's a lot of scope in every firm, no matter how many hops system-wise that they have for things to somehow change in the middle uh, and sometimes multiple times. Yeah, and yeah. It, it is not always a bad thing that something's changed, not always wrong. But what is concerning is when it cannot be rationalized and it cannot be documented and it cannot be explained easily by individuals that are supposedly responsible for the flow, for example.
1: Well, we have covered a lot. going to see if I can get all of this right. We have looked at rate change. We've looked at change management. We've looked at how SMCR, transaction reporting, and even client money can give a firm, or actually participants in a firm, a more clear view of what's going on within it. You talked about front to back and how important it is to understand the handoffs between different areas. You talked about how REG can help firms get that that front to back view and then take a holistic approach with regard to change management. Governance is key as well because if things are happening on one side of the ship and no one else on the other side knows about it, it's gonna go haywire.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. and I think the basic premise is, and I've always said this to my teams, that I'd rather that we get told things twice or three times than not at all. So the key to change is not only expecting to be told, but asking as well. And um, I heard this phrase many years ago, the ABC, accept nothing, believe no one, check everything. And quite funny, I was at a conference and it got said and about three members of my team turned and looked at me and pointed at me. So <laughs> it was reassuring to know other people feel the same. And it was, of course, a reg panel. I was just about to go on and sit on the next panel. It was a reg panel. But I find that that is quite useful because it's not to say you should go around questioning and interrogating everybody. But the reality is once you start shaking that tree, as we said earlier, stuff falls out and it can be sometimes something really basic as people have got a slightly different understanding what a, of what a term means and we're in an, in an industry where there's loads of different terms you've got different terms in different regions of the of, of the world but you also have different terms in different teams in the, in an organization sometimes so it's super important to sometimes just cover the basics and you'll be surprised what what you find
1: yeah yeah so while it's uh, establishing clarity right yeah once you know what you've got, then you can work on changing it or, or, in fact, making it more efficient.
2: That's the other thing. If you tell me, I can deal with it. So I'd much rather know it of every little thing, and then from a governance control perspective, I can judge, is there an impact here? And if the answer is there's no impact, I will follow it through and track it and make sure that that assumption was correct and then evidence that as well.
1: I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> and, in fact, I won't even try. So. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sarah. Any closing any closing thoughts or any closing words?
2: I guess my overall thought on governance control in the reg space is that if I was to kind of put it in some sort of structure, change management is a component of regulatory change management. And regulatory change management is typically broader. You can't uh, necessarily have the same risk-based approach that you might take from a change management, pure perspective. And therefore, there's a lot of partnership, not only within REG and the business and, and, and the broader organisation as a whole, but also with other with other kind of change teams, et cetera. And that's, again, something that can sometimes get overlooked. So that's something I would kind of, I guess, end with, that REG is, is a distinct consideration, but it shouldn't be completely separate from the rest of the organisation.
1: Mm, it's not a silo. Well, thank you very much, Sarah Peaston of GD Financial Markets. I appreciate your insights, appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. It's been great. All the best. Thank you.
1: I think from Sarah's talk, the key to change is being fed information and asking for it as well. Once that happens, the change team can then do their job in a more thorough manner, meaning they can track and change processes from beginning to end and from top to bottom. You're implementing change and ensuring compliance in a more efficient and cost-effective way. This has been the GD Financial Markets podcast in association with 4Part Group UK. We wish you a safe holiday season, and please look for us in the new year. Until then, goodbye.